listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. It's your mindset that's the foundation for sales success. It's the reason that this podcast exists. But why is a salesperson's mindset so critical to their success? What's the mindset difference between those that are truly great at sales and those that struggle? And why do some salespeople and sales leaders still skip over the issue of mindset? Thanks for joining us today on Mental Selling, your favorite sales podcast from wherever and whenever you might be listening. I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions, and it's my pleasure today to have a discussion with Mark Hunter, also known as the Sales Hunter. He's a well-known, award-winning author, sought-after keynote speaker, consultant, and blogger, and he's most recently the author of a book called A Mind for Sales, Daily Habits and Practical Strategies for Sales Success. So, Mark, I have followed and read your stuff for several years, and I thought it always aligned really well with what we believe about selling. So I've been eager for to carve out some time to have you on this podcast as a guest. Thank you so much for being with our audience today. Hey, thank you for having me on, because I'll tell you what, talking about mindset and sales. Yeah, the two do go together quite, quite well. Absolutely. It's the name of the game, isn't it? So let's start with this today, Mark. You um, have said in your book that, quote, sales potential is not limited by what I sell, my price or my customers. It's limited only by my thinking. In your perspective, what are the main things that are preventing salespeople from achieving their fullest potential? Well, before I can answer that, we've got really got to back up the bus here a little bit and say that you can't change behavior until you first change your mindset. You know, people say, hey, I want to be more successful in sales. I want to be more successful in sales. Well, I'm going to do this course. I'm going to do these steps. I'm going to get this software. I'm going to do this. And and no results happen because you haven't changed the mindset. So you got to change the mindset. What is absolutely fundamental, the core belief is you have to believe that you can make a difference in people you're reaching out to. My definition of sales is really quite simple. It's to help others see and achieve what they did not think was possible. Now, you as a salesperson have to truly believe that. Because if you don't believe that, you're not going to pick up the phone and make a call. You you may send an email because, oh, they they won't respond or or something like that. But, But you'll never really truly engage. You have to believe that you can make a fundamental difference in others. And when you do then, you now begin to see that you have a an obligation to reach out to people. Because that's the other thing that I say. Hey, if, if I have the ability to help someone and I know they need help, I have an obligation to them to reach out. Ooh, that sure sounds like prospecting, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> but it's a, you're right. It's a totally different approach and, and uh, lens that you're viewing it through. Yeah, we, we, we speak similarly about sales saying that, you know, selling is about helping somebody make a buying decision that's in their best interest. The key word there is best interest. See, you can't, you can't jam something. You, you can't treat customers like bowling pins, you know, where you're just going to knock them down, take their money and run. That doesn't work. 
you know, the, the 80s are calling for that old sales process to come back to them. <laughs> yes. It doesn't work today. Right. Do you, do you think salespeople are taking enough responsibility for their own success? Um, and, and if not, what do you think? It obviously, it ties back to mindset, but what do you think is really at the heart of what, what holds them back? When they're achieving success, they take all the credit in the world. When they're not achieving success, they blame it on others. <laughs> I'm, now, he, here's the situation. Salespeople are very, I, I was on a call this morning with a VP of sales. I'm in a keynote for a company here in a couple of weeks. And um, he made the comment. He said, yeah, the biggest challenge I have is my people always assume it's somebody else's responsibility to do their work for them. And top performing salespeople who have the right mindset, they own it. They own the process. They know what they need to do and they stick with it. And they don't sit there and pass blame. They don't, you know, say that, well, the results didn't occur because somebody didn't do something. No, they figure out, one of the best examples is when I wrote the book, A Mind for Sales, publisher said it's going to come out in March of 2020. It's great, great. So, you know, I write the book in 2019 and we're all set for launch in 2020, March. And let's see. Late March, 2020, yeah. Yeah, there was that little thing called COVID. And it was very funny, but people ask me, I, I got all these calls. Are you going to hold back the launch? Are you going to hold it back for a few months and just wait for this to wait for this? And I said, no, I'm in sales. I own it. I just have to figure out a way to do it. And you know what's interesting is launching that book in March of 2020. Yeah, we had to launch it differently. We had to launch it virtually. We launched it via the internet. We, we, we did so many things differently than we had planned. But you know what? It came off great. In fact, I almost think it came off better because we were thrust into this COVID situation and people were reading the book and they go, wow, did you write this book just for COVID? I said, I had no clue this was happening. Excuse me. See, so you, you've got to own your situation regardless of what happens. Yeah, with the, with the timing of your book, you're right. I'm sure it caused a lot of uh, angst and stress, but in the end, it probably was timed really well because of the mindset shift that salespeople needed to have on a dime when the, when the pandemic hit, yeah. Sales is emotional. It, 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 it is emotional. And, and think about a lot of other professions. You know, an accountant, you know, it's numbers. Oh, wow. The sevens look really funny today. The threes look really weird today. It, that's not an emotional business. Most jobs, occupations are not emotional. Sales is very emotional. So your attitude drives everything that you get because it's amazing how you hear things differently based on the attitude that you have, based on your mindset, based on your, you know, where your head is at. It's why I, I like to say that, you know, your mindset going into a sales call predetermines the results you will get coming out of it. That's spooky. And, and building on that, your, your, your mindset is directly correlated to the activities that you either do or don't do that result in that sales call, right? Oh, huge. It, it, it absolutely huge. I watch, I watch salespeople. Yesterday, I, I was doing a keynote for an industrial sales company, for, for an industrial company, about two, 200 salespeople. And it was very interesting because I could cut the room in half. There were half the people that were totally fixated on the product. 
the, the machines that they built. That's all they cared about. And the other half of the room was focused on the customer. What is the outcome the customer is going through? And it's interesting, but I sat through some of the, the technical aspects of the meeting and so forth. And you could just see the differences in the questions. You know, some of the people were asking questions about the, the technical specs of the machinery itself. And others were saying, well, how's this going to help the customer? How's this going to help the user do this or do that? And you go, wow, I have a feeling I know which group is making the president's club, right. and which group is staying home. Yeah. Are you having product conversations? Or are you having needs and, and outcomes based conversations? And obviously that's so key because, yeah. you know, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, everybody sells something that somebody else is selling too. Okay. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just simple. Uh, but, but stop and think about it. It's, it's the ability to create a different outcome. I'll, I'll use the example, um, top golf. Okay. If you've ever been to top golf and, and, and if you think about it, Top golf is really nothing more than a driving range meets a bowling alley. That's all it is. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yes. Right? It I mean, is. I mean, it's it's a driving range meets a bowling alley. That's it. But what a concept. And what have they done? They've driven incremental engagement, inter, incremental entertainment, incremental activities, all these kinds of things. Because here was people were looking for a different, different way to get out, different way to get out, different way to do things. And they take non-golfers and put them into a golfing situation. And they take golfers and put them into an entertainment situation. So, I mean, now I, I'm not saying we're, we're all going to go out and create the next top golf. What I'm saying is that we have to look at our customers' needs, which means we have to listen to our customers, which means you've got to shut up. They'll tell us. And from that, then we can begin to craft a solution. That's the mindset you got to start with. Don't lead with your product. And then, like you said, you know, because selling is emotional, because buying is emotional, you've got to have that genuine curiosity to be really genuinely interested in, in what the customer is, has to say, right? And not just going through scripts. That's a huge piece. And you know what's funny is people will sit there and say, oh, but I sell B2B, so it's not emotional. Oh, liar, liar, pants on fire. It's just, you know, it's still, it's still emotional. B2B is, B2B is still emotional. They may try to justify it by facts and all that sort of stuff. But let me tell you something. There's plenty of emotion that goes into it. So this is the whole key thing. You know, I, I, I like your approach, you know, integrity solutions. Because you think about it more today than ever. There's so much stuff going on out there that salespeople you know, sales doesn't exactly have the, the, the most stellar reputation out there. Oh, you're in sales. Excuse me. I don't want to touch you. Get away from me. So there's this preconceived notion for, with too many people. So what we have to do is we have to establish ourselves as being different. We have to establish ourselves as, as really being able to bring to you ideas options, questions, solutions, ideas that really stimulate you, the customer, to achieve a better outcome. And when you do that, it's amazing what happens. And related to what you said about, you know, preconceived notions that buyers have about sellers, right, based on bad experiences, the same holds true for the sellers themselves. 
a lot of salespeople have preconceived notions themselves in their heads that are holding them back, don't they? I mean, we, we preach that a lot with, with people. That is huge because again, you know, I, I hear salespeople say, well, you know, there's nothing to be had here. There's no, there's no, the, the, those people have never bought before or they've never done this or yet, you know, I'm not even going to waste my time with them. And lo and behold, somebody comes along with a great mindset and suddenly they just score all kinds of, I remember years ago uh, when, when I was in sales and had a territory, uh, my boss gave me part of a different sales salesperson's territory. And he didn't tell me anything about it, but I went out there and I, I achieved all kinds of success. And it was interesting, but I ran into the salesperson who had that territory before. He was a little bit upset that my boss had given me part of his territory. He said, there's no business there. What are you wasting your time? I said, no, there's all kinds of business. You see, he had a preconceived notion that there was no business there. And as a result, he didn't get any business. I didn't know any different. I go in and I'm like, I'm going to find a way to get business. We got business. You have to be able to look at every opportunity you see as an opportunity to learn something. When you take that approach to learn something, well, that means you got to listen. Hmm. Out of that is either going to come one of two things. One, you're either going to learn that, okay, there is nothing here, but two, you're at least going to learn something. And, and I like that approach. And I look at it this way, man, I had a call today with a gentleman who I've, I've met with a couple times now. And I, I didn't think anything was going to, you know, it was kind of like, okay, we're going to keep meeting because uh, there's something here. And sure enough, today, boom, the light bulbs went off. There's something there. There's a sale to be made and it's going to happen. You have to have the patience for it. Y yeah. You, you have to have the patience then to also not only learn, but then to connect the dots. Because in, in this particular case, I had to begin connecting dots of what I had learned from other customers. And then begin, oh, let me try this. Let me try this angle. And then boom, it works. So I think we've touched on this a lot already, but just to see if there's anything else that comes to mind for you. What, what else, is there anything else that, you know, whether it's the top one or 2% of salespeople, or let's just call them great salespeople. Is there anything else that great salespeople are doing that others are capable of, but they're just not doing? Well, it, the number, number one thing is discipline and focus. Okay. Maybe that's two things. It's discipline and focus, you know, great top performing salespeople are incredibly disciplined and they're incredibly focused with their time and they work a routine and see this, is what's interesting. Sales is not as complicated as we want to make it out to be. The most successful salespeople have a very simple sales routine and they just execute. They just execute. Boom, 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 boom. They just go through the motions. Average salespeople in lower port, they're always trying to overcomplicate things. Well, this doesn't work. I got to try that. I got to, they, they simply overcomplicate it. They get, all they get distracted. If yes. Oh, shiny object, squirrel. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. If you just stay disciplined and focused, it is amazing at how much more successful you will be. So uh, one of the, it seems to me from your book that a big area of focus is around time management. What, and it's, I think this builds on what you were just talking about, but what distracts salespeople the most from 
where they should be spending their time. And, and do you have any thoughts about ways that salespeople should be better planning and managing their typical week? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, man, do we have three hours? Yeah. I got a whole lot I can share. Let, let me share with you a few simple things that you can run with right now. One, tomorrow begins today. You never end today without first planning out tomorrow. Exactly. Who are you going to call? What's the call to action? What's all the piece you're going to do? So in other words, you don't start the day thinking about what you're going to do. Because then what happens is time begins to control you. You have to control time. So that's number one. Two, you have to have a very disciplined routine to start the day. You have to. One of the things that I really strongly do, and anytime I'm in front of an audience, I always tell people, take your phones out right now, and I want you to set an alarm for 10 a.m. 10 a.m. And it's what I call the 10 a.m. rule. In my book, I call it the pizza rule. I've since simplified it a little bit because it's hard to get a pizza to come out of a smartphone, but you can get an alarm off. The... The deal is this, you want to have accomplished something significant before 10 a.m. Now, here's why. If I can accomplish something significant before 10 a.m., I just feel good. I just really feel yeah, good. It's self-motivating. And I'm more motivated. I'm going to get more done. So that's, that's great. But B, say I get to 10 o'clock, I get something really good done, or I get it done at 9 or 9.30 in the morning. And my boss calls me and my day goes to pot because my boss gets me off on some wonky project. Guess what? I've still had a good day. I've still had a good day. Average salespeople, what they do is they sit there and say, well, I'll take care of this after lunch. I'll take care of it. This is this way a lot of salespeople view prospecting. I'll take care of it after lunch. I'll, I'll get to it towards the end of the day. And they get caught up in doing all the stuff of the day. And they never get to the real meat of the day. What I'm saying is flip it around. Do that really important task before 10 a.m. The other thing is this. It's what I call the two by four principle. It's not, you, you don't take a two by four to your head. No, that's not, that's not safe, okay? You take a two by four. Oh, uh, no. You block your day into four two-hour segments. I like that. Here's the deal on this. At the end of every day, we always, we always tend to kind of evaluate our day. Hey, did you have a good day? Was it a bad day? Yada, yada, yada. And I don't think any of us have a problem with being busy. <laughs> it's whether or not we're productive. Right. So what I say is I'm going to break it down into smaller chunks. I do four two-hour blocks. And you can do eight one-hour blocks. You can do, you can do two four-hour blocks. I don't care. I, I just like the, the visual of a two-by-four. Four two-hour blocks. And so in this two-hour block, I'm going to do this. This two-hour block, I'm going to do this. This two-hour block, I'm going to do this. And you hold yourself accountable for those very specific time periods. And this is what you're going to get done. And to do that, you start breaking apart your calendar. And I always say the most valuable meetings I have are the meetings I have with myself. The meetings I, because those are the meetings where I'm preparing for something I'm working on a project. I'm doing something. So I color code my calendar. I use three different colors on my calendar, but it keeps me on task because otherwise what happens is it just fills up with stuff. Yeah. It's always, it's always going to fill up with stuff. And it's a, you're right. It's a, it's a conscious choice to be, 
proactive versus reactive through your day, but I like it how you frame it. It is a very conscious. And again, this is what top performing people do. They drive the outcome that they're looking for. They don't just sit there and do a to-do list. And see, that's another big thing. You know, I, I can't stand to-do lists. I, I hate them. Now, we all need them. We all need them. But is your to-do list just around, oh, I got to take care of this person. I got to take it. Or is your, your to-do list around the outcomes you want to achieve? What are the outcomes? And there's really only two outcomes you're looking for, R and G, revenue and goals. Mm-hmm. In other words, if what you're doing isn't helping you drive revenue, Mark Cuban always uses the line, you never attend a meeting where, the, where you're not getting a check. Hmm, I like that. I like, I like that. that too. Okay. So, you know, it, is, it, is it helping you achieve revenue or is it helping you achieve your goals? And if it's not one of those two things, why are you doing it? Right. Hmm. Prioritization. Maybe that's a call to action, not spend so much time on social media. Hmm. Just saying. Right. Or administrative tasks that other part of your company should be doing or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so related to the, and maybe I think it relates to the time management issue that you're talking about, but uh, we've talked on this podcast and, and I've written in um, our blog about sales burnout. And how do you, how big of a problem do you think that sales burnout is today? And what do you think is causing it? And again, maybe in, in part, it relates back to what you were just talking about around time management, but the whole issue of burnout and how to, you know, are, are there daily habits that people can form that help prevent it? Yeah. Sales burnout, just like burnout in anything is, is real. And you have to take time to breathe. In other words, you have to take your foot off the gas. You have to. Now, here's a whole couple things you got to take a look at. Ask yourself, what am I achieving? How am I helping people? One of the things that I always tell people to get motivated. In fact, I did this with this group I was with. I was with yesterday. I said, take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. On one hand, on one side, write down the names of your five or 10 best customers. And on the other side, write down the outcomes that they achieved. Not what you sold them, but the outcomes. And you look at that and you go, man, I'm good. I'm pretty good. You know, that's a great way to you know, kind of motivate yourself. But what this does is this, it begins to help you put things into perspective. The other piece that you have to remember, and, and I, I, struggle, I struggle with this myself, got to know when to shut it down. Just shut it down. You know, what's very interesting is we always want to say, oh, I, I just got one more thing to do. I just got one more thing to do. I just got one more thing to do. But then what happens is we very quickly wind up finding ourselves that work is just expanding to the amount of time we want to give it. You know, the old um, expression before cell phones, before personal computers, and all that sort of stuff. I always said the most productive day of the year was the day before vacation. Because you had to get it right. You had to get it all done before vacation. Now, of course, what do we do? We take our laptops with us. We take our tablets with us. We take our phones with us. And we continue to work. You see, burnout, anytime you do something 24-7, you're going to burn yourself out. So you have to completely stop and flip the channel, flip over to something else. Now, I'm not an advocate of saying, let's go veg out. But I'm saying is, no, you get out. 
And whether it be physical activity, whether it be golf, whether it be doing something with your family, but you've got to get out of your set routine and just shut it down for X number of hours every week. And I admit, I'm guilty of that. Mm, guilty as charged. And like you said, there's there's always going to be that one more thing. There's no, there's no such thing as crossing everything off your priorities list. Well, it, it, you're never going to get everything off, off your list. And one of the ways, and to kind of tie this together, here, here's the thing, because is I don't look at sales as a job. I don't look at sales as a profession. I look at sales as a lifestyle. I, I look at sales is I'm just out helping people. I mean, my whole goal is just helping people. Now, I hate to say it, I get kind of jazzed on that, and I wind up setting up meetings with people I probably shouldn't be doing, but I want to help somebody. I want to do something. I want to help people. You know, But to me, that's what puts fuel in my tank. So look at your job. Look at your sales job. And ask yourself, what are the activities that you do in your job that puts fuel in your tank? And for some people, it's actually prospecting. For some people, it's helping an existing client. For some people, it might be referrals, whatever it is. But look for those things that put fuel in your tank and look to exploit them. What do I mean by that? Do more of it. Do more of it. Now, not to the detriment of you not achieving your goals, if that's going to happen, or you know, doing something else. But you do it to the benefit of you helping you be a more complete person when you are working. And again, it's about taking ownership of your day and do those things before 10 a.m., right? <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, one of the things I enjoy doing is connecting people with people. Um, several times this week, I've had situations where people have reached out to me and they've asked me a question. Oh, yeah, hey, I, I can connect you with this person. Or I just on my own say, hey, I, wow, this person should be talking to that person. And to me, that's, again, one of those little things that jazzes me. And I'm not directly getting anything out of it, but boy, it sure makes me feel good. But it is part of sales because that's, that's part of networking. It's, it's part of, you know, if you view sales as helping people fill needs, that's, that's all under that umbrella. Yeah. We have to look at sales, not as a solo activity, but as a team sport. You oh, know, absolutely. It, it's a community. And we're all helping each other. And when we're all helping each other, wow, suddenly you don't feel so lonely out there. Yeah. Because there's a lot of salespeople. In fact, it's funny. I was talking to a, 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 a CRO the other day, and he made the comment that he said, we finally released our people in February of this year. And, and almost like, like they had been held hostage in their back bedrooms for two years. You know, because of yeah, COVID, sure. they couldn't travel, they couldn't do anything. And it's like, oh, man, wow. Mm. Hate to think of what their mental state was. Right. Uh, another thing that you say in the book um, that stood out to me, you said confidence creates confidence. Motivation creates motivation and momentum creates momentum. And ultimately, success creates success. Could you elaborate that? Um, could you elaborate on that? And also, yeah. how, how do you yeah. how do you train and coach to things like confidence and motivation? Because I think that's one of the things that uh, a lot of sales organizations, sales leaders struggle with. 
Well, it is. It's it's what I call part of the success wheel. Now, there's a couple ways with which to look at it. Managers talking to you right now. You cannot motivate your people. Whoa, whoa. What did I? Yeah, I said you can't motivate. All you can do is create a culture for your people to motivate themselves. That's key. That's absolutely key because motivation comes from within. You know, people say, well, if only my boss would motivate me. Get out of here. You don't have the mindset to be motivated. So here's the whole, here's the key thing. And I tell this to salespeople. And it's one of the reasons why I like the 10 a.m. rule. If I don't achieve success early in the day, do something. I just kind of wind through the day. I want to be able to achieve success because what happens is momentum creates momentum. So if, if I'm working with a sales team, I'm working with a salesperson, and I had this, had this the other day. And lady was just having a real hard time making prospecting calls. I said, okay, just set your goal as two prospecting calls a day. That's it. That's it. Just two. She says, yeah, but Mark, I'm not going to make my number. And I said, yeah, but hold it. Your number might be 35 calls a day. But hey, just because you write down 35, you're not going to make 35. Start with two. And then what happens is, she began making those two. And then she, and I said, okay, now take it to four, take it to five, take it to six. And in time you get there, it, it's, it's no different than somebody saying, I want to go out and run a marathon, but they've never run more than a mile a day. Right. That's a good analogy. It ain't going to happen. Right. You got to slowly step your way into it. So what I say is achieve goals that you can achieve. What does that do? That creates motivation. You know what's interesting? When you're motivated, it's amazing how much more adrenaline you have. It's amazing it how much more you'll work. It's amazing how much harder you'll work. When you're not motivated, oh man, everything's a slog. Yeah, everything's a slog, right? It's yeah. And then you have those days where it's all of a sudden 4:30 p.m. and you haven't really done anything, right? And you haven't done anything, but you're going to claim, "Oh, I've been busy. I've been busy." Right. You're and then what happens is is the busy mindset takes hold. And then you suddenly think, well, if, I, if I'm just busy, if I'm just busy, things will work out. No, they won't. Because you're not busy on the right things. Right. Busy, busy does not equal productive and productive on the right priorities. Absolutely. Do you, you know, you're talking about the issue of, of leaders not being able to motivate their people and motivation has to come from within, which I totally agree with. But when it comes to sales leaders, something I want to ask you is, do you think, do you think sales leaders understand the difference between managing and coaching and, and what is it going to take to sort of unlock this for, for sales leaders? Cause everybody, you know, we, we do it, you do it. Everybody talks and nods their heads about how much more they need to be coaching or how important it is, right? But then when you ask how much they're actually doing it, it's a different story. Well, if you could solve this problem, you'd be a very wealthy individual (laughs) and we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. I'm just saying. Here's the situation. Managers don't coach because they view coaching as long-term. It's building a skill set. And the manager's challenge with, I got to make today's number. I got to take care of this report. I got to take care of this. So what happens is the manager winds up managing the activities. And you wind up charging your people with getting done with activities to help you achieve your spreadsheet. And you become nothing more than a glorified spreadsheet jockey. 
I see this with CRM systems. I see this time and time again, where a sales manager will look, oh, you're not making enough calls. You know, the dashboard of our CRM just isn't lighting up the way it should be. It's all, you know, and what they really should be doing is coaching the behavior. See, coach the behavior to achieve the outcome you're looking for. Don't manage the activity to get a false result to just take care of today. And that's, that's a mindset change. That is, that is a true mindset change. That's, that's one of the best definitions I've heard is you, you manage to the, the numbers and the activity, but you coach to the behaviors. I think that's a really succinct and, and good way to put it. Yeah. And, and, and see, here, here's the whole deal. You coach the behavior by helping them change their mindset, say. But what's interesting is many leaders don't even have the right mindset because they're, they're, they're so fixated on the activity. They're, they're, they're just fixated on, on getting this report done that they themselves, you know, what's interesting is I love asking managers of sales teams, what are the five-year goals, personal and professional of each of your people on your team? They can't answer it. They can't answer it. Yeah. Most are probably not having discussions beyond Two to three months from now, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just the quarter. It's the year end, whatever it might be. You know, and they think, well, we're going to work on next fiscal year. That's long term planning. Mm, no, not at all, not at all. You know, I mean, it's it's managers. I'm going to challenge you to understand what what are the real motivators of your people. In other words, what are they working for? You know. And help them achieve that. You may, you, may have, you may have somebody on your team who is dealing with elderly parents. You know what? Help them in that. Help them in that matter. Just at least understand that's the challenge they're going through. You may have another one who is, who is going through real kid problems. Or maybe they, they, they can't find an apartment to live in or whatever it might be. But when you begin to understand where they're coming from, it's not that you're demonstrating sympathy, but you're guiding them empathy, not to cut them slack because you're not running a social service agency. But when you begin to understand where they're coming from, then you can begin to understand the motivators, so to speak, the culture you have to create for them to do what they need to do. That's really, that's really good advice. It's, you have to be human. It, it really is being, it's just being human. I mean, you know, what I find so interesting is, and this is really kind of weird, um, you see kids and they sure act a lot like their parents, either good or bad. Same thing with salespeople. Huh. Salespeople begin modeling the behavior of their managers. So guess what, sales leaders? You better start modeling good behavior because your salespeople are watching. They're watching a lot more than you think. And that directly echoes the idea that a sales culture is directly begins with the sales leaders. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, I, w when I see, and if I, I was working with a company for a number of months this year. They would routinely start meetings late, routinely. And they never ended on time. It was like, and, and, and I call this out to management all the time. I call it out all the time. And I go, because here's the whole thing. If your salespeople see management 
starting meetings late, showing up late, letting them run along, getting them dis- all disoriented. How do you think their meetings are going with their customers? Hmm. You got to model the behavior you expect your salespeople to do. Yeah, you would want your salespeople to have clear agendas and focus and time discipline and all those things with customers. So you have to model, you have to model those behaviors. Yeah. People sit there and say, you know, you know, uh, asking questions, asking questions, such a skill set that salespeople don't do do enough of. And yet I find so many times I've sat in on sales meetings, you know, these are frontline sales meetings, you know, uh, supervisor with eight or 10 salespeople. And the sales manager doesn't ask one question the entire meeting. Right. Yeah. That's oh, that's very true. Okay. Now we know why the salespeople don't ask questions. You know, you got to model the behavior. I want to talk about, um, or have you talked about the links between purpose and success in sales? I know that's part of the, your book too. And, you know, we've talked a lot of, on this podcast before about the importance of having a clear purpose and how motivating that is or demotivating if you don't have it. What do you think salespeople and, and companies that they work for need to be doing more of or, or differently to solidify those links between purpose and success in sales? Wow, that's, that's a great question. And it really comes down to what I believe is influence and impact. You know, and I say this a lot when I have a conversation with somebody. I'm having a conversation with you right now, Will. I want to earn the right, the privilege, honor, and respect to be able to have another conversation with you. That, that, that's my objective. And I look at the business I do. I don't want to close a sale. I want to open a relationship. This is a mental mindset shift. When you make that leap in your mind, I'm no longer closing sales. I'm opening because every sale you make leads to the next sale. But when you say, I'm not, I'm not closing a deal, I'm opening a relationship, it changes it. And ultimately what it gets to is that every day you want to ask yourself, who will I influence and impact today? And at the end of the day, you want to ask yourself, who did I influence? Who did I impact? And if I can do that in a positive manner each day, man, guess what? Things are going to happen. Good stuff's going to happen. You're going to move the ball down the field if you're doing each of those things every day. You will move the ball down the field because you now become a person that others want to associate with. And this whole thing, we, we, you know, I, I, I always say if you sell with integrity, you will get customers who have integrity. Yes, we say that a because, lot. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, I mean, this is so key because if, if, if you're a customer that is just looking to rip somebody off, get, get a deal and, and, and yada, 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 and, and just, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, you are <clears throat> repelled by a person who has integrity because you're going to wind up going for that other slimy person because that's going to be the person you're going to try to take advantage of. And it's amazing, but you know, when I hear salespeople say, oh man, my customers are so lousy. My, cust- my customers are terrible. They don't pay on time. They always argue. And I first have to go, hmm, 
I wonder how you're behaving out there as a salesperson. I wonder how your company's behaving. And I think this builds on a bit on what you were just talking about. Do you think salespeople spend enough time, and this is also a time management thing, do you think they spend enough time figuring out who their ideal buyers actually are? Is, is, isn't a lot of time and effort wasted by salespeople that are like casting a wide net saying like, well, we can, I can help anybody if they're from a, you know, a company that has more than X number of employees or whatever they, you know, or they're not researching and profiling who can they can actually help. Oh, huge, huge. Uh, you know, a line I love to use is you can't take a Walmart shopper and turn them into a Nordstrom customer. You got to know who your customer base is. Walmart, Nordstrom, both great retailers. But they know who their customer base is and they stay in that lane. What happens to me times with salespeople is they'll sit there and, and they, they think, just because this person has a conversation with me, this person took my call, this person's willing to meet with me, that they must be a great customer. No, they just were willing to do that. Right. I, 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 the example I love to use is life insurance. Life insurance salespeople. They're very quick to have meetings with anybody who'll have coffee with them. <laughs> but eventually they run out of relatives. Eventually they run out of friends. You know, now, okay, I, I didn't mean to bash the life insurance industry. It's an incredible profession. But what, what I'm saying is this. You have to be mindful of who you're meeting with because just because somebody responds to your inquiry, responds to whatever it is, does not make them a good customer. You've got to have your ICP, ideal customer profile. And if they don't line up in that criteria, that persona, you can't afford to spend time with them. Because ultimately what's going to happen is you can't serve them properly. And if you do serve them, if you do serve them, you will do so at your expense, hurting somebody else who you could have been working with. And you'll do it at their expense because they won't receive the value that they're looking for. Stay in your lane, stay in your niche. You know, one example, you know, salespeople quick to say, well, I have to be able to take, I have to be able to service everybody. I says, no. Look at the restaurants in your community. Tons of restaurants. Are, are they competitive, you know, with each other? Yeah, uh, you know, but... You know, people may have two or three restaurants that they go to out of 20 or 30 in their neighborhood. The others are doing just fine, too, because there's other people serving those needs. Know your lane and stay in that lane. And I, I like, the, you know, what you're framing around. There's an opportunity cost to everybody you speak to, right? If I'm with this person, that means I can't, I don't have time to speak to that person. So you better make sure you've you're spending your, your time in the right places. That is a huge piece because, because what will happen is, is you'll find all your time in front of customers, but you're closing no sales. So really, you're not spending time in front of customers. You're spending time in front of suspects because they're not even prospects. Right. Suspects and prospects, two, two drastically different things. Um, the last question I want to get to, because I know we have to wrap soon, is... Um, you talk in the book about five questions to create a prospecting mindset. Could you talk about those? Yeah, here's the situation. You, you have to ask yourself, and you can vary these questions by who you are and in the industry that you're in. But you have to ask yourself, what is the value I create? What is the outcome I create 
Okay. In other words, know what that is. How do I deliver that outcome? Who do I deliver that to? Why is it important to them? When you can begin to answer those questions, what you're now beginning to realize is, oh, this is why I do what I do. And what happens is it changes your mindset. Because if, if, you, if you understand how your customer benefits, you know, well, you know, why does your customer buy for you? What's the benefit that they're getting? What's the outcome? Wow. And you understand how they buy and why they buy. What, what are the trigger points? What are those things? It begins to change everything about what you do and how you look at sales. Suddenly, suddenly sales is not as complicated as you think it is. Because it really isn't. It's simple. Just go through a repetitive motion time and time again. And take the time to uncover those the answers to yes. what you were, you were talking, you know, I say a lot that sales is detective work, right? But you, you've, you've got to spend the time to uncover those things versus and customize your, your outreach accordingly and, and all those things. I like that. And, and when you do that, you're going to demonstrate integrity to your customers because you're putting them first. That's what's key. Right. Again, you're, you, you're you, showing oh. a genuine interest in helping them. Yes, you didn't show up with this, hey, buy this, buy this, buy this. No, no. Like you said at the beginning of the discussion, are you product focused or are you customer outcomes focused? And it's the latter that are going to. You see, it's not, it's not what we sell. It's not what we sell at all. It's not even how we sell. It's why we sell. That's important. I don't mean to rob from Simon Sinek. He wrote the book, Why? But you really do need to understand why do we do what we want to do? What's the outcome? That's a, that's a great summary. And um, I feel like we could keep going for another half an hour, but um, I want to be respectful of, of your time. And so, um, Mark, thank you so much for sharing your insights and ideas. I feel like, again, we probably want to have you back again so we can keep diving into some of these things. Uh, but this has been really great. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it. So for those of you, uh, for everybody listening to learn more about Mark, you can find him on Twitter, uh, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, find him at The Sales Hunter. His website is aptly named thesaleshunter.com. And remember his book, most recent book, A Mind for Sales, which is available through all major book retailers. And uh, Mark also hosts his own podcast, which you can find, which is aptly called The Sales Hunter Podcast. So thank you to everybody for listening today. Please, uh, as always, leave us a rating or a review. We always appreciate the feedback. Uh, tell a friend or, or three or five about our show and be sure to scroll back and listen to other recent episodes you might have missed. Um, we have more on the way soon. And thank you to everybody again for listening. Mark, thank you one more time for joining us today. This has been really, really beneficial for all of our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.